If you weren't here last Sunday, we did something a little bit special in that um, we had a bunch of envelopes that we handed out to become a blessing to uh, somebody else, and there was a $100 bill in there. But there was a few of you that took those envelopes that didn't get me back that little... I know you're trying to sneak it on me, but um, I I need your name because we want to interview you and kind of use what God is doing. I've been hearing some pieces already from people that have done that and the blessing it's been to other people. So I would encourage you to, if, if you haven't gotten that back to me, and if you don't get an email from me this week even, I'd encourage you to email me and let you know, uh, let me know that you took one of those envelopes. We've been in a series called, Is Your God Too Small? And just a, a quick summary Many of us believe and have these perceptions about who God is that really are kind of flawed. One of them early on that we talked about is that some people view the father as the resident policeman. He has a a radar gun and he's looking to catch us out there in terms of our sin and, and give us the consequences of that. But another view is this. Some people believe that, that God is a permissive grandfather. That, that the only, you know, that God up there, he doesn't want to challenge our sin and that his goal for us is to just make us happy. And another one that we covered last week. Some people believe that God really is a, a stingy father. That it's a father that withholds good things from us and that he really, at the heart of it, is not generous. But as we took and dug a little bit, we see that we have a heavenly father who is profoundly generous, and we have a father actually who looks to bless us. And there's temporal blessings, and there's spiritual blessings, and really it should cause us to, in one sense, to bow with gratitude and worship him, and the other to become a blesser to other people that we would take and, and use our resources, our time, our energies, and to take God and Christ with us into this world and bless others. But the reality of these observations really is that many of them are learned from our home and, and how we view God and, the, and, and some of the things we learn very young. And I, we have to say this, that oftentimes moms and dads are deeply influencing the very subtle beliefs toward their children about who God is. And these distortions can be very small, they can be very large, but I want to give you a couple more pieces to my story. As I was growing up, and there was eight of us in the family, six kids, and again, I grew up in a Christian home, went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and lots of times even in between. But But even though my mom and dad went to church and participated on committees and stuff, I would describe their faith as a private faith. Very private. We would occasionally see them read their Bibles. But if you, maybe to put it a different way, if you listen to their conversations, what you wouldn't hear is them talking with each other about spiritual things, about who God was. I asked Deanna last night, I said, did you ever hear that from your mom and dad? And her immediate response was, never. She just didn't hear at all about any conversations of who God was. Now, now understand, 
I do think that it was a bit of a little bit common for for the, that group of people and kind of people, uh, you know, my parents' age category. But I didn't hear them talk about their struggles. I know that there was financial struggles with six kids and all the stuff that was going on, but did they connect it and talk to us about it? The answer is no. And in some ways, because of that private faith, I was very learning and it was shaping my understanding of who God was out there. And I look back and it, and there's some disappointment. I don't blame them, but there's this place where I wish it was different. Uh, I, I think many times our faith, my faith, didn't really take hold in a, in a profound way until Deanna and I moved to Washington and uh, got involved in, in some people's lives out there. They got Actually, their people were discipling us. And, but one of my regrets is that I had absolutely no spiritual conversations with my father. Uh, you know, in, in terms of ministry and, and God and understanding. And he, he died from Alzheimer's at a pretty young age. And I look back and go, that was the one thing maybe I grieve more than anything. Now, I have I, my, my mom who passed away a few years ago. I, I pressed her for some of those conversations that I probably wish I would have had with my dad. But I think that was common. But I also believe that that private faith very subtly shaped my understanding and view of God. But for parents, I want to put this up on the screen. When parents don't talk about their relationship, I mean this personal relationship with Christ, it leaves a child having to decide on their own what God is like. Parents, to live your faith is one thing, but to talk about it elevates it to a whole different level when it comes to children. And I think one of the challenges, if we don't talk about our faith, that it comes to, we begin to picture God, and he becomes a type of small God. And for the one for today, if you're following along in your bulletin outline, I, I said it this way, a small God, that our Heavenly Father is distant and detached. He's a small God. He's up there. You can hardly see him. And I think this is one of those that probably I've struggled with, especially early on in younger years. But I don't think I'm alone. Baylor University did a research project in 2011 that was really quite extensive across the United States, and they were asking people their values in terms of understanding in their life. And one of them, I'll put it on the screen here, is, is which view is closest to your understanding of who God is? And they gave four different options there, the authoritarian God, the benevolent God, the distant God, or the critical God. And understand that 34% chose an authoritative God, the policeman. The one that is there just to control and keep you in line. But second, number two, 25% chose a distant, a disengaged God. Now, now here's where I, I got to dig here and make a couple of distinctions on this distant God. There really are two groups of people in this world who hold a distant view of God. And the first are people of faith who grew up in a church, 
who claim to have a relationship with Christ, who functionally believe in God and even a Savior, but they live in such a way where he, God is far away. And I'm going to deal with that group last. But there's a second group that i got to point out here. And this group wouldn't use words like faith. They wouldn't use words like a personal relationship. That wouldn't be their language. But this group, from a technical sense, you, their, their understanding and belief of God, the word is deism. Functionally, they would be labeled deists. And, uh, and here's where I think we need to understand this group of people because if we're going to minister to them and impact them, we need to, to, to catch what they believe. Now, see, they state the fact that they actually believe in God, and, but many of those beliefs contradict the Scriptures. Now, let me give you a simple definition of deism. And, and deism basically is this. God created the world then left us on our own to run it. God made a clock. He wound it up. Okay, for you that, some of you younger ones, you don't know what a wind-up clock is. You got it. Batteries. Batteries. And then he stepped back. Go for it, world. You're on your own. See, they believe in a God But for them, the Bible, this book, really is irrelevant. The church really isn't relevant. But but also, I would just point out here, we tend to label them in with atheists, and that's just not true. Actually, the percentage of people that are pure atheists in the United States, are very it's very small. Very, very small. But the majority of people... Say that there's a higher power, there's a God out there somewhere that had something to do with creation. You might call him a force, or there's different names that they use, different opinions of who who he or she is like even. But they believe, they look around and they see the uh, creation out there, they see the trees, they, they see the beauty of the world, and they know that there's a force or there's somebody something be behind that. But they don't believe in a personal God. For them, life is very rational. Life is predictable. The scientific laws of nature cover really and describe how life works for them. And, and really for them it makes sense that God puts the things in motion and then they, they, it runs, the earth runs according to physics and biology and chemistry and such. And, and for them it, just, it really corresponds to how life works every day. But there's another piece of deism that, that I think we need to realize. Deism still upholds human responsibility. So if God winds it up and sets it in motion, and he backs away, and they really believe that at that point, we are responsible for the things around us. And we can't blame God for what's going on in this world. Nor do we look to God for some magical fix-it if something goes bad. So they believe in their destinies. Of, the, of their lives, of their families, the cities, even the planet. They, and they would say this, 
that it's not only responsible to be looking at these things and helping and getting better and such, that it's actually empowering. See, they're working for a better future, a better destiny. And taking care and being responsible, even of this earth, is is really filling a need of purpose and meaning. And you understand, many Americans, they espouse this, and some of them even call themselves Christians or some other religions, but they're practically, they're deists in the way they approach life. Now, let me give you some names who held on to this belief of deism, of, of being a deist. Benjamin Franklin, if you, if you don't know history at all, he was one. George Washington, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, Mark Twain, Thomas Edison. And, and you go back all the way to Aristotle, in, in one sense, was really a deist. But, but the point is, they're not the issue today for us. But because of that, there's a second group that have a, a distant view of God. So it's not just for deists, it's held by people who grow up in the churches just like ours today. And when you stop and listen to the emotions of people, to the emotions, you will hear it if you look for it. And I would say this, even when you read the scriptures, you come across persons and people after people who in one essence are living their lives as deists. It it really is a worn path, believing that God is distant, he's away. So many who call themselves Christians come to a belief that God has removed himself from the situation. He's a father who's choosing not to be involved. And, And I think if we're honest with ourselves, intellectually honest, there's many of us, have, have those moments have said, God, are you there? Or are you out far somewhere? But turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 49. A great little text to, to uh, even underline if you, if you have your Bible. And, and Isaiah chapter 49, the context is that the, the nation of Israel has, been, has just been rebuked and disciplined by God for their failure to follow him. But look how it reads in verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people, and I will have compassion on his afflicted. Sounds pretty good so far, but the words here, Isaiah is actually trying to encourage the people. But look at the response in verse 14. But Zion said, this is what they really believe. The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. That was the cry of this people. God had backed away. And he's no longer involved. Now, uh, technically, that word Zion would refer to Jerusalem, but really it was representative of the whole nation of Israel. And what were they feeling? God had forgotten them. God had removed himself from the situation. He had turned his back, and they were now in chaos. And as far as Israel was concerned, they were abandoned by God. They were abandoned by God. But this, even this text points to a significant reality 
and it applies to us. If, if you're following along in notes, I said it this way. A distant God is often connected with the hard circumstances in our lives. You see, Isaiah 49 Here was a nation that was chosen by God. They had a history of God working. It was written down for them. But now that their nation had been destroyed, the capital, Jerusalem, lay in ruins. The temple was demolished. They're they're saying, God, are you there? Are are you even close? Do you even see us? Why aren't you taking care of us? See, God is distant for them. But... When you apply that to us, isn't this also true for us? And let me just kind of reverse it, take a twist here. How about for us when things go well? When things are going really well, don't we kind of sort of maybe more often than not believe God's there? When things are working, we go, God is there close. And then all of a sudden, suffering, chaos, pain, and then all of a sudden, something begins to switch. God, are you distant now? And then guess what happens? Then all of a sudden, it gets better. And then we switch. And then it gets worse. And then we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and then if God is not listening and he doesn't answer like we want, it challenges our faith. Don't we have to admit that? And our conclusion? He's not engaged, he's not listening, he doesn't care. That's the path that we can walk down at those moments. Or maybe this, here's another scenario. We pray, things get better. Things get better. And they take a turn, and guess what happens? All of a sudden we go, oh, God is near. He's close. And then hard times come again. And and all of a sudden we're suspicious. God, are you near or are you far? Isn't that a bit of a fair-weather Christian? That the circumstances change? And I think the challenge for us is so often, we don't want to hold up a mirror to our lives and say, God, is this about you or is this about me? See, I don't think we want to admit that the issue just might be us. So we hold on to that belief that God is far away. But there's one other response that you can do as well here. God doesn't answer. You kind of, okay, God, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'm going to will my way through the circumstances right now. I'm going to get through it. And do you realize that's the deist? That's the deist. It's my responsibility. See, see, there's another reality I think that we got to admit. And for your notes, I said it this way. We want a God that will change in his qualities based on our circumstances. So when the circumstances of our life is suffering and chaos, we want a God whose greatest quality is that he will rescue us from pain and trouble. And if the circumstances are such that we're enjoying sin, what do we want? 
We want a God who gives grace, who's not going to discipline us. We, we want this permissive grandfather at that point. Just make me happy, God. Or maybe we really kind of go down that, this path of we start, we love our autonomy, and we're running, and we're, it's independence. And we really don't care about God. And at that point, what kind of God do we want? I think we want a God that's going to just stay away and not interfere with our lives. See, God becomes different based on our circumstances. And the things at that point that we've learned when we're young, the real truths about who God is, they, we begin to doubt those. And God, are you far? And are you really near? What are, who are you? Well, let me give you another reality for your notes. I lose faith when God is not attentive to my happiness, not yours. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? And let me explain this in terms of discrepancy. We have disasters take place in the United States. And we gather and we pray for those people. Think of Katrina a few years ago. We were praying for the the devastation, the loss. And we stop and pray for them. But guess what? When they have the loss, our faith doesn't suffer. It really doesn't. Ours doesn't drop. Maybe theirs. You catch, but all of a sudden the circumstances switch. And it becomes hard for us. And then our faith begins to get shaken. See, we want a God about us. And if you're going through this stuff, then it doesn't shake my faith. Let me give you another reality here. Hard times often reveal more about us than it reveals about the character of God. See, what is, though, a big view of God? See, it has to do more with us. Are we coming to that place? He doesn't care. He's distant. But what do we need to do to embrace a bigger view of God? For your notes, this really where we have to go, a bigger God. We, here's what we need to remember. We have a Heavenly Father who knows who knows and more pointedly knows us. He knows us. And so often we live like he doesn't know us. And we can start that so if you're 10 or 15 or 20 or 40 or 50, I'd remind you, we have a Heavenly Father who knows us intimately. I want to give you an example of this. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, if you got your Bibles. And, and the context of this um, is this. Paul was wrestling and trying to help the church because there was false prophets going around that were trying to lead these churches astray. And in order to gain respect from some of these churches, Paul would appeal to some of the miracles that, were in, that God had done in his life. And if you remember that Paul, when he was younger, he actually lived a life that, and he believed this big lie. And the lie was this, 
I'm, uh, I'm serving God by putting to death these people that are beginning to follow Jesus. Remember, he was working against what Christ was doing. But if you remember the story, Jesus confronts Paul. And he interrupts him on that road and he says, Paul, why are you fighting against me? And he has this encounter with Christ and this experience, but this experience could have led to great pride for him. And I don't know if you know know the rest of the story, but Paul goes into the desert for three years. Three years. And what did he do there? I, I would say it this way. He had private tutoring by the Holy Spirit and probably by Jesus. Now, if you want a name drop, okay, I got trained by Jesus. Okay, so that's the context. That, that he had, he, there was this monumental thing that happened in his life. But look at verse 7, how it goes. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made weak, perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, this this text assumes that the Father, the Heavenly Father, knew Paul intimately. He knew exactly what he needed. That verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited. He gives Paul a thorn in the flesh. And folks, Paul didn't like it. There was something that was going on, and they don't know what it is, if it was depression or, or if it was something other, physical things or eyesight, they really don't know. They're, they're kind of guessing when they do that. But for some reason, God said, I'm going to come to you, Paul, and you have to bear this because I know best. Because I know you. And the reality of Paul's life was that he probably would have become conceited if he didn't have that thorn in the flesh. Now to fill in your notes here, see, we have a father who knows us. And I said the first one this way, he knows us when hard times are needed, are needed in our lives to make us holy. For for some reason, Paul needed this ailment to keep him humble. See, but for us, when hard times come, and if I believe that God is a distant God, and he really is not concerned if we kind of live like a deist, we look at hard times that come into our lives and we go, it's just fate. It just happened. It was just a random act. And you know what? God doesn't really care, except that's just not true. See, God is intimately involved in our lives. 
And he takes those things and those hard times. Well, let me put up Romans 8.28 again because I think it fits here. Because he knows this, he is purposeful for our benefit. And look, and we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Either that's a, tr- it's, that's a true statement or it's a lie. And if it's a true statement, it says that God knows us intimately. He knows us in such a way that he knows what is best to make us holy, to draw us to himself. But there's another very, very important piece here in in 2 Corinthians here. Look at verse 9. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power... My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, what does that mean? And here's how I put it for your notes. We have a Father who knows that the power of the Holy Spirit is fully unleashed when we become weak. Weak. See, our Heavenly Father is offering us something when life doesn't work. And what is it? It's the Holy Spirit's power. But catch this. God doesn't force it on people. He extends it. Are you willing to become weak, Ken, to have my power? Are you willing to give up to have my power? See, he offers it. And what does it mean to become weak? It's giving up the right to control, giving up the right to fix our way out of tough times. See, we keep hanging on to this, I think it's a string of belief, that somehow that i got to hold on to enough control that if God doesn't come through, then I'm going to will myself out of it. And you go, no, it's giving up. It's giving up. It's taking our hands and opening up and saying, God, I surrender to you. I cut those little strings. I'm going to give in to your plans. And why? We have a Father who knows best. Father knows best. That was a show, wasn't it? (laughs) How many knew that? I could find out how many actually. Some of you go, I have no clue. (laughs) A lot of you weren't even born when it was on TV. I think it was late 60s or something like that. But Father does know best. Why? Because he knows us. He knows us. A caution here, though. Be careful that we don't step into the path of going, our own sin was caused by God. That's just false. It's a lie. Sin was never God's best. And sometimes, we have to admit this, there are natural consequences for sin. And it really, God isn't even doing the consequences at sometimes. But listen to something else. And this, I don't think we really like this, that sometimes the consequences, the thorns in the flesh, the hard times, actually come from God. That was Paul's thorn. It was given to him by God. But we're not too, too thrilled with that. Of God's discipline and hardship. 
Because that actually might reveal something about us. We're going to get into the Father's discipline another Sunday. See, Paul understood that when life isn't smooth, there's an opportunity, though, to give up, to become weak. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's power was unleashed even in Paul's life. But the blocking point for us is trying to stay in control, stay strong. How do we practically do that? How do we give up? Well, let me just give you some applications to end here today. Some things that maybe we can do. The, The first one is this. We need to remember. We need to remember that our personal circumstances do not coincide with how God feels about us. See, when there's hard times, we go, does God hate me? And I go, no. The scriptures scream out the love of God. He loves you and me. He knows us. And we got to embrace that sometimes. That's a day-by-day thing even there. But another one. We need the second one there. Look back and remember the faithfulness of God. I don't know if you journal or you think back, but been a number of times where Deanna and I have just sat back and, and we just kind of think back over the past and we go, man, was God faithful and he came through. We need to do that. Maybe you need to go out with your spouse or, or just get some time away alone and just reflect and say, God, when did you work? And you journal some of those things that you were there, you met me. You were good. But a third one here, I think what we need to do as well, we need to look outside the circumstances and reflect. At times what we do is we navel-gaze so much in our hardship that we don't ever stop and go, is other people in the same issue or worse off than we are? Matter of fact, here's what I think we need to do. We need to dig into this more and actually see the great men and women of the Bible whose faith grew because of hardship. But some of them wrestled with it as well. I think of Elijah going into the desert after the mighty work of God, and he goes in, he sits under a tree, and he goes, God, kill me. But as we ponder that, God takes him out of that and he sets him on the cleft of a rock and God passes by him and reveals himself to him in that story. That's where we need to read the stories of the scripture and we need to see God in them. We need to stop always just trying to get the facts here and and we need to see God. So we need to reflect and look outside of the circumstances of how God has worked even in history. I need to quit, and we need to do communion. I want to invite the men up that are going to serve with me. But do you realize, even the communion table today is a reflection. It's a call to stop. And it calls us to say, remember. Remember the goodness of God. Remember his Grace, remember that he entered into this world, he humbled himself, and he became a man to die for us that we could have new life and even the Holy Spirit 
Remember, he, he was given to us there as, as Jesus left and said, I have to go. Why? Because I need to give you the Holy Spirit, that he will reside within you, that I will be with you always. 